I started this whole process because I was curious whether my diet choices were really the, the right ones. Mm-hmm. So five years ago, I became a pescatarian and cut all meat out of my diet. And, you know, I'm a scientist. So it's like, <laughs> I, I should probably, you know, study this to make sure I'm making a, a decision based on the evidence rather than a few news stories I've read. And in the end, you know, uh, the results are a bit different than I was expecting mm-hmm. um, in a way that has actually had a personal influence on my diet choice. So I- That's Ben Halpern, a UCSB professor in the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management. Halpern is also the director for the National Center for Ecological Analysis and Synthesis, or ENSES, which recently published a global study on environmental pressures caused by food production. I started off by asking him about the organization and some of the work it does. NCES is a, a research center actually based downtown in Santa Barbara, but we're part of UCSB. But we uh, have about 70 resident um, environmental data scientists, so people that bring data together to do analysis on environmental questions and environmental problems and finding solutions to those. And then we also bring in experts from around the world, uh, five, six, seven hundred a year in small teams of 12 to 15 people that tackle a huge range of, of questions across all parts of earth and environmental and ecological sciences. So it's a really dynamic, rich place for science that is really trying to bring synthesis of existing data to bear on better understanding our planet and how to address the problems we face. Next, he told me about some of the goals of the food study and what they hoped to measure. We were really trying to understand what are the environmental uh, consequences of food production at a global scale across all foods. So a lot of studies in the past, actually most of them have focused on climate emissions, so CO2 emissions from farming, agriculture, and livestock. So land-based food production and climate emissions. Mm -hmm. And those are really important, but that's not the whole story. We really wanted to put together all foods, so what's gotten from the ocean, uh, wild-caught fisheries and aquaculture, what's from freshwater systems as well as what we do on land. And together, what is the whole picture we see from that, as well as what happens when you look beyond just emissions from for climate change, but also think about water use and pollution from nitrogen and, and phosphorus that comes from agriculture and the disturbance of the land or the sea that is a caught co- or a consequence of the food production. And, you know, when you put stuff I then asked about the methodology used in this study. How did the researchers measure the effects of all foods around the world? We've worked on these kinds of methods a lot over the last 20 years in my research group. And, and one of the clever things you can do is convert everything into basically a percent of the total or a percent of the worst case example on the planet. And in this case, we take the total amount of water used and any particular location on the planet or any particular food production system is a percent of that total. And you can do that for anything, for the climate emissions, for the water. And so then everything becomes measured in the same way. It's the percent of the total pressure across the whole planet. Mm -hmm. So that allows us to come up with this cumulative index. Basically, what is the sum total of pressures across the four different measures that we're looking at? Mm -hmm. Emissions, water, use, pollution and land or ocean disturbance. So we do that, and then we do it for every food, (laughs) right? Which is a massive, massive data effort of finding these data, harmonizing them, making sure they're all um, spatially explicit so we know where 
chicken farming is happening, where wheat farming is happening, where fishing is happening. So we need the location of these. Halpern went on to tell me about the findings and how they add on to our understanding of food industries. What ended up being really surprising to me in this work was how different the rank order of foods are when you start to look at it in this way. Because um, from a climate emissions perspective, we've probably, or many people have heard that beef cow production is the worst and by a long shot. And that's true. But when you fold in some of these other factors and take all of food production together, uh, other things rise to the top, like mm-hmm. pig and rice and wheat, which are things that people are probably not thinking as much about. And then some of the other things that I wasn't really expecting that you can only see when you start to look at the whole food production system is how interconnected things are. So people probably have no idea that chicken and pigs have an ocean footprint to their food production Mm -hmm. or that um, salmon farming in the ocean has a land footprint. And that's all from the feed. So we feed land-based crops to salmon in aquaculture, and we feed wild-caught fish to chicken and pigs as part of their food. After hearing about these intersections between land and ocean farming, I was curious about his recommendations for being more environmentally conscious. Based on the research, what sort of individual diet changes could be especially impactful? Yeah, it's a really important question, and, and it's a nuanced one, right? Yeah. So, I, 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 like I said, you know, I think if people can reduce the amount of beef and pork that they eat in their diet, that's kind of a universally good thing. So I'm not saying that people have to give up all meat, although if they want to, that's a nice outcome. Mm-hmm. But even just one less meal a week would have a really big influence on the global pressure we're, we're putting on from these foods. Beyond that, the big ones of rice and wheat are really big in part because we produce so much of those crops, and mm-hmm. they're staple crops around the world. It maybe think about substitutes for... Um, rice, um, like legumes or beans or things like that that can be as nutritious and have a lower uh, environmental footprint. I'd also say a lot of seafood is really good, um, in part because like shellfish and and even some of the finfish, you don't feed them, right? They, Mm. They are fed naturally from the planet. And anytime you don't feed something, it really reduces its environmental footprint because you don't have all that extra food production just to feed an animal. Additionally, they, they don't produce, they don't take any fresh water because they're growing in the ocean and shellfish don't produce any pollution. So you've already immediately reduced, uh, removed two of the four pressures that we're looking at. Mm. And shellfish actually create habitat and they sequester carbon in their shells. So you actually help fight some climate emissions by growing um, shellfish. So if people were to eat more shellfish, oysters, mussels, clams, if you're replacing some of the not-as-good things with things like shellfish, that's a win-win for your diet because they're really healthy foods and for the planet. Halpern also told me what governments could do to make production more efficient and better for the planet. And there's lots of ways of doing it, which is nice because there's not a, a single thing that everyone has to do. You can adapt to the context of each country. And so... There can be technological innovations. So some countries have access to more efficient fertilizers Mm. that we can use that um, help growth without creating as much pollution, for for example. Or you can have improved farming practices that are regulated through policy that says you only till once a year or Mm -hmm. twice a year. Or you can have policies about where you put 
um, aquaculture farms to reduce the amount of pollution that gets into the environment. So there's lots of strategies that um, can help improve the amount of food that is produced for the same amount of pressure or reducing the pressure that is produced from some fixed amount of food production. He also added a note about potentially good economic practices. Well, that actually brings up another tool we have in our toolbox for thinking about this, which is trade. So mm -hmm. kind of the economic policy that we can put into place to encourage food production in places where it is less um, impactful on the environment or produces more food for the same amount of pressure. We can encourage trade with those countries because our global food system is a global food system and decrease trade with places that are having a higher uh, impact on the environment, then that's what we're trying to speak to here. Like, how can we channel our individual food choices and our policy decisions to shift slowly or maybe dramatically the way that we grow food and, and then eat food? Mm -hmm. And then people who are uh, motivated to get more involved in the policy realm, this is where you can talk to local politicians, city council, or the mayor, or uh, even your local farmers, and just you know, bring awareness to the opportunities that we have to change at the policy level. These kinds of things really make a difference when people talk to their politicians and talk with a loud voice, change can happen. At the end of our conversation, the researcher reflected on this study and how it affected his own personal life. This has been a, a long journey for me uh, and a really rewarding one. It was a four-year process of pulling together the team to do it, finding all the data, figuring out how we we're going to analyze it, and so on. I've reintroduced chicken into my diet, and I've removed some of the fish that I was eating that are you know, more harmful to the environment than I realized. And these aren't dramatic shifts. I'm not like completely changing my diet, yeah. but I'm making subtle shifts that you know I feel like are informed by the work we've done. And... I hope we'll have a, a positive benefit for the planet. And so we, we continue this line of research, and, and we'll see. I mean, there's probably more surprises down the line that will continue to influence what I eat and, and where I get my food from. Thank you to Ben Halpern for chatting with me about this research and how its findings can be interpreted on both individual and government levels. To hear the full interview and learn what future researchers can do to add on to this study, head to KCSB SoundCloud or Spotify. With KCSB News, I'm Frankie Newton.